Hello everyone, you're listening to Triangle of Fans. The Lakers have taken a 3-1 lead in the Western Conference Final. But if you thought the series was over, the Denver Nuggets have done this twice. They've come back from 3-1 down twice, becoming, the only, becoming only the first team to do that ever. I'm Munish, I have Nishant here with me and we'll be talking all about this game on today's episode. Uh, we'll also be looking forward to Boston versus Miami, Game 5. Uh, that could all be over pretty soon before we talk next probably. There's also a lot of cl- uh, Clippers disputes coming up. We'll have a lot of fun uh, mocking the Clippers. Uh, a lot to, to look forward to in today's episode. But first up, we'll talk about the Lakers. We have Nishant, uh, who's super excited as a Lakers fan. Uh, one step in the finals. They haven't been in the NBA finals since 2010. Great, great times as a Lakers fan. All yours. Hey Manish, I'm, I'm excited, I'm happy, true, but I, I think the way the game played out, I'm a lot more relieved than I am excited because, man, these Nuggets, they they just don't give up, do they now? They, every game, you think half-time lead, now it's too much for them to come back and then they come back and then you think, okay, early in the fourth quarter, Lakers pulled away again, there's a lead and again they come back and, and they've got, it's, it's, it's always somebody or the other. Uh, today, Jokic disappeared largely because he was in foul trouble and so... He was on the bench, which which I didn't fully understand that that plan, by the way. Like, you're saving him as if there's still two quarters left in the game. It's the last quarter. It's do or die. I mean, he comes on and he either scores or he gets fouled out. Which, if he gets fouled out, effectively, either way, he's doing the same thing by sitting on the bench right now. He's not really contributing anyway. So, I didn't quite get that strategy, but but he was missing. But then Jamal Murray goes and has, has himself a game. Um, Jeremy Grant again chips in with a few points. Michael Porter Jr. made clutch shots in the third. It's always somebody or the other with this team. But they find a way to, to keep themselves within, within a couple of shots or a couple of possessions of victory, always. And so until, until really the last tip, you, uh, last throw in, you really have no clue whether, whether these guys are down and out or not. So again, a valiant effort by, by the Nuggets, but the Lakers prevailed. Largely through grit, leadership experience in the fourth quarter, Anthony Davis making clutch plays again. And surprisingly, Dwight Howard, who got a start in this game, a rare start for him, with, with some tremendous energy. He had a double-double before the half. Yesterday, we were talking about if Anthony Davis has a double-double at the half, it's over for the Nuggets. Not quite. Um, Anthony Davis scored a bucket load of points, but it was Dwight Howard that had the double-double. Great energy uh, right at the start. A lot of those rebounds in that double-double coming from offensive rebounds and almost all of them resulted in second-chance points, not just opportunities. And, and that ultimately proved to be the difference. That uh, cushion in the first quarter carried all the way through. You're right. I think for a team like Denver, you need that kind of a bullying kind of character in the right under the rim. And that's what Anthony Davis was doing all this while and Denver didn't have an answer to him. And when he slept, they kind of dominated the game. And that's what Dwight Howard did today. You were right in the fact that uh, Dwight Howard had six offensive rebounds. That's as many as Denver Nuggets as a team had. So his presence was purely felt. His experience of being in the stage before and getting the job done kind of showed. It was a very weird game though. Very few three-pointed attempts. I think there were as many 58 three-point attempts. That's as many as Houston Rockets put up in one match by themselves, right? Jamal Murray, who's been shooting threes for fun, he didn't have a single three-pointer. LeBron James had one. AD had one. Jokic had two. And that's all... That's like four three-pointers in themselves. KCP scoring 50% of all of Lakers' three-pointers. Kind of a weird game that uh, not many three-point attempts this, given that how these teams have been playing in the past. Yeah, I, I think the defenses were a lot tighter. Both teams now realize that this series is, is going to be a lot closer. Even if the final uh, outcome 
and the number of games in which the series is decided doesn't reflect it every game is going to be a very very close fought contest and the defenses were a lot tighter perimeter defenses were a lot better and the three it just wasn't dropping for either team really nobody except michael porter junior really got hot from from the three point line and even michael porter for for a brief spell he hit three out of six overall but it it really wasn't dropping for any of the other guys jokic really couldn't get it going jamal murray also wasn't shooting great no uh, was anthony davis lebron none, none of these guys really had it going um that's credit both to to the defense and in some part just shooters got cold so this game was largely about the mid range and and points in the paint and finishing at the rim and you'd expect then that it's a it's a shootout between ad and jokic uh, with with lebron chipping in but jamal murray had something to say and he, he made some unbelievable shots in the paint uh, in and out reverse layups on lebron shot fake in the air adjustment kind of like michael jordan back in the day these are under, i have only ever seen michael jordan or kobe bryant make shots like that this deep into the playoffs so that that kind of blew my mind um, but but this was largely a game about inside scoring rather than than outside scoring because nobody was shooting it particularly well and the perimeter defenses were strong in in the and that's where it just became all the more pivotal because the number of offensive rebounds that the lakers had it just put the game out of reach for the denver nuggets and the lakers also out rebounded the nuggets overall by uh, by around 8 rebounds so this was kind of a reverse of the previous game where rebounds were largely what gave uh, denver nuggets the edge i think lakers reversed the trend uh, the trend and it started early in the first quarter and that's where dwight howard's role was so pivotal in in securing this win in a game that's largely dependent on inside scoring it's then going to also be a game that's that's decided largely by defenses and the lagos defense was just a, just that bit more gritty they forced more uh, more turnovers they had a bunch more steals they filled those passing lanes any time that the ball went out of jamal murray's hands that was a liability for a pick for for a steal or a, or, or a turnover any time that jamal murray shot it that was a bucket and that was pretty much the entire game So Lakers overall did a great job again a bunch of players stepped up I thought KCP had a great game I thought Rondo was phenomenal as always in the fourth quarter and and I notice how uh, I like what they did in the fourth quarter in this game in fact so instead of putting the burden of playmaking on LeBron what they did was they treated LeBron and AD as two elite scoring options and throughout the fourth quarter put the ball in Rondo's hands and said you make plays happen and make plays happen he did he got he got one clutch af offensive rebound and that pretty much sealed the game for me and that's the kind of rebound millsap should have got which would have closed out game 2 rondo got that rebound rondo made some plays rondo set up alley oops in the in the fourth quarter of a western conference finals to ad and he just brought everyone in i thought really well into the offense and that what that allowed the lakers to do is put the best two offensive players in this series in in anthony davis and lebron to just focus on their scoring to focus on driving in they got a bucket load of free throws which they converted for easy points and that's really where the lakers created that second set of difference after second chance opportunities came the free throws where both ad and and lebron took a bunch of free throws a lot of them came in the fourth and a lot of them came because they were driving to the basket this aggressive approach also put jokic in foul trouble kept him out for most of the fourth quarter and that was pretty much the ball game so it's such a luxury for the lakers to have rondo back in his playoff rondo form because it then allows their best two players to just be offensive uh, weapons and not worry about anything else 
Yeah, that's an interesting story, right? It would have been fun if Boston Celtics could uh, reach the final because Rondo against the Celtics in the final would have been quite a narrative because uh, he'd probably become the first player to win a championship for both the Lakers and the Celtics, two epic, two rival clubs, and to win it for them both would be quite a narrative. And if he did it against the Celtics, that would have been that would have made it even more interesting. But it doesn't really look like the Celtics are going to be there in the finals. Uh, how good was Jamal Murray? We keep talking about him every episode, every single episode. He's risen up to the occasion. Today, uh, he was playing in LeBron James as if LeBron James was a rookie. How good was that reverse layup? I have never seen anything like that against LeBron. And wow, it was. And to see it in slow motion was even more wonderful. Yeah, that was uh, like I said. I've only ever seen Kobe and Jordan hit shots like that this late into the playoff. There was also that shot in the fourth of uh, falling to the left off balance, weak hand. That was just a one-handed heave uh, layup from that was a mid-range layup, and he, he hit that swish. Yeah, it's it's just outstanding offense. There's really nothing more to be said. And like LeBron mentioned in the in the post-match press con, he's a, he's really a triple threat. Um, a, you've got to commit a double team to him most most occasions because he can then shoot it from the outside. He's got a pretty strong three-point game. He has a mid-range. We know he has a mid-range, and as he proved in this game, he's outstanding at the rim. He can he can finish pretty strong strong in the paint. The only way to negate his paint scoring is now is now to give him the same level of respect that most elite attacking players get, which is pick him up half court, have someone trail him half court. Because if he's building momentum to the rim in in a very different way, he's a bit like Giannis because. He then becomes very, very difficult to stop at the rim once he's got momentum because he he makes so many adjustments, shoots with both hands. It's very difficult to to stop him there. The only other way is to is to you know clog those lanes and force him to stay away from driving. It's it's kind of similar to how the Lakers defended Westbrook to a large extent. So I think that's pretty much got to be the way they they handle Jamal Murray, and that's to some extent LeBron proved that point in the fourth because they they avoided double teaming him. They put LeBron on Jamal Murray in the fourth, and he took on that challenge and. And for a stretch, I thought he did a pretty good job. Murray was still making, taking and making incredible shots. That's credit to him. But on the whole, it was effective to to slow it down, if for no other reason than that LeBron James alone was getting the the job that would otherwise require a double team to get done, and that freed up a, a defender, right? But but that's the level of respect he's commanding. How many twenty-three year olds invite a invite a double team in the Western Conference Final on them? I couldn't think of maybe Jason Tatum, maybe Luka Doncic. That's about it. So. It, that's a sign of respect. That's also a reflection of just how potent an offensive weapon he is, and he his star just keeps rising and rising. And, and every time we think there's a ceiling, just like the Denver Nuggets, Jamal Murray rises. And it's probably because Jamal Murray rises that the Denver Nuggets rise. Because this was a game where Jokic just about disappeared in the fourth. I mean, I'm not just talking about stats. He disappeared. Like he wasn't on the court for most of the fourth because he was in foul trouble on five fouls. And yet, this game wasn't decided until the last minute or so. And that's credit to Jamal Murray. Credit to some of the other players also who stepped up on offense. But again, if for most of their shots, it was Jamal Murray creating the offense. He was running the plays too, and and that's what makes this Denver Nuggets team so strong. Because when you look at some of the other teams in the West, let's say our Dallas Mavericks, that's an all Luka Doncic team. Porzingis is is unbelievable, but all of the plays are run through Luka Doncic. When he's off the court, their playmaking goes for a toss. Kind of like how the Lakers were early on in the season when LeBron wasn't on the court. With Denver, you have two elite playmakers. You have Jokic who can get that done, and then you have Jamal Murray now, who's who's equally capable. It seems he may not have the ingenuity of a Jokic, but he's equally capable at making effective plays happen. And that's what's so special about this Denver Nuggets team. They have two elite scorers who are also elite playmakers. 
it's a kind of double pivot system that we've not really seen. We've seen a lot of teams with two elite wing defenders or two elite bigs, but this is new. Two elite playmakers don't often mesh mesh very well together. But they seem to have found a balance and that's credit to Coach Malone. Um, That's what makes the the Denver team special. And it seems like every day, like I said, Jamal Murray discovers a new ceiling and therefore the Denver Nuggets keep raising the bar. Absolutely. That brings me to my next question. The Nuggets are no strangers to being 3-1 down. They played Game 7 in last, each of their last four post-series games. Uh, this season, they were 3-1 down and 15 points down in Game 5 against Utah. They came back. Uh, they were 3-1 down and 15 points down against Clippers in Game 5. They came back. They were 15 down in Game 6. They came back. They were 12 down in Game 7. They came back. So, you know that Denver, when the back to the wall, they're not going to give up. And even this one looks a bigger mountain to climb. I don't think they're going to lie down and let the Lakers walk over them in Game 5. Do you think uh, any chance in it to stretch this to six? And once it goes to six, it kind of becomes kind of nervy for the Lakers, right? Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, anyone would be a fool to say there's no chance because just, just the number of times that these these guys have proven it. And even in this series, they, they might have lost the game today. But it wasn't until the last minute that the game was really sealed. It was anybody's game until then, regardless of what advantages, what inches were gained in offensive rebounds and this, that and the other. They still stayed close. They gave away so many second chance points, so many fast break points, so many free throws. They still stayed close. They always found ways to claw their way back. I, I'd be a fool to count them out. Anyone would be. But here's where I'm still going to stand by what I said. I, I had said Lakers in five. And like I said, worst case, it goes to six. But the Lakers really don't want it going there because then then the momentum builds and then the whole world's talking about yet another 3-1 comeback and just the pressure keeps building up. I think they're aware of that. I think the Lakers have way too many experienced players and their, co- and their coach is way too smart to allow this to happen. Their their agenda in Game 5 should be come out and go for the kill from, from the first minute on and not wait for the fourth quarter to, to show off your playoff credentials. I don't expect the Denver Nuggets to be able to pull this one off. Unfortunately, as exciting as another 3-1 comeback would be, I think it's too good to be true. Um, and I think unlike the Utah Jazz, like I mentioned yesterday, the Lakers just have too many leaders who are are capable of making decisions, calling plays, making adjustments and counter counteracting any strategic advantages that the Nuggets are gaining. Um, they have too many leaders on, on the floor and they seem to have enough respect and mutual understanding. If one leader is calling the shots and the others kind of go over the floor and, and back down, like Rondo was clearly calling the shots in the fourth today and LeBron respects that he he plays in that system and he's a great team, team player in that respect. And, and so they don't have a lot of ego situations going on, which was, I thought, the Clippers' biggest problem. In addition to not having a vocal leader, that's also a great player. They either had one or the other. And with the, with the Utah Jazz, that, that's largely an inexperienced team, minus Gobert. And, and again, there's really no vocal leader. One guy that kind of puts a method to the madness and when there's chaos, one guy who you know, issues a clarion call. They didn't have that. That the Lakers have. So then it's a much tougher opponent to, to take down when they're 3-1 up. Somebody's got to pull out the stats um, on, on LeBron going 3-1 up. I don't think it'll be very encouraging for the Denver Nuggets. So I, I don't see... There is an outside chance. Are the team capable of a comeback? Absolutely. But, uh, but I think largely, even if the Denver Nuggets give it their best, the Lakers have enough to, to go through in five. If the Lakers drop game five, it's largely going to be their own doing. And, and then the nerves are going to mount. And I fully agree. If this goes to game six and beyond, it's anybody's series and... And it just gets worse and worse for the Lakers with every passing game after that. Well, your, for your sake, I hope it ends Lakers in five. They'll get some good rest before they play Miami Heat, who look 
look pretty confident to wrap it up and fight themselves uh this is a, as close as the series could get if you uh, combine the aggregate scores of the teams in four games it's 441 441 although the results show that Miami have won three games that's as close as it's been and i think uh, in the end it comes down to closing down games and because every game has gone down to the end in the end Miami have better closers than Boston Celtics they have the better leaders to close out those games and that's where the difference is and i think they might just finish it off tomorrow because unlike the denver nuggets i don't see boston celtics putting up this much of a fight when they're 3-1 down yeah i i also i agree and i don't think they quite have the personnel yet to to really claw their way back now i think the miami heat are too well positioned and as i've been saying all season their defense is just just too good when they choose to to stifle opponents and they only got stronger when they added jay crowder and um when they added igodala to that defense and and as they played more and more games together they got their rotations in order they got the systems in place and and team chemistry because defense in a way is a lot like offense in the sense that it works best when when the five on court have great chemistry where you don't necessarily need to call uh call out a movement or a switch uh for the other guy to understand that it needs to happen there's there's usually a lot less said and a lot more understood between players it's just like on offense where uh, the best offensive players in the league the passer doesn't even have to look up to know where you know his favorite attacking option is he kind of always knows what kind of run he's going to make and on defense that's important too especially when they're playing zones like miami does all the time that cohesiveness that ability to work as a fluid unit without really somebody marshaling it all the time that's priceless and i feel like the miami have just gotten stronger miami heat have gotten stronger and stronger at that and Uh, that is why i was always picking the heat and and i stand by that i had picked them to take on milwaukee very early in the season because i said any team that has a yanis stopper has a chance against milwaukee because nobody else is going to step up on that team everyone else is going to choke and i i actually thought boston had a pretty good chance too if if they were to face off against the bucks but it was heat all the way for me against the bucks but i must admit i didn't have the heat coming out of the east and and they're surprising even me with all of the options um, their defense keeps getting stronger and stronger butler just proves everyone wrong every series about uh, all of those franchises that doubted him and tossed him around must be kicking themselves right now especially the 76ers who who were just a case study in in screwing things up manpower wise but but full credit to him and then when you got players like tyler hero emerging and putting up magic johnson like performances it's just too much there's there's too much going on for the heat right now for the celtics to really have a say in in the narrative of the series so much like in the west it's the heat's series to drop now and i'd fully expect them to close it out tomorrow so heat and five then absolutely all right so heat and five i think uh, i think i switch sides and i think it's going to be heat and five <laughs> it's kind of me cheating because i was supporting celtics all along but <laughs> i think uh, seeing the way the series is going i think i should it's it's not too late to switch sides yeah the truth is the truth but that's going to be a fun final right lebron against uh, his old his old franchise uh, he has quite a bit of history it's kind of the franchise that made him a superstar he was already a great great player in the making but miami is what elevated him to superstardom that'll be an interesting interesting uh, narrative tale whatever you want to call it uh, i'm looking forward to that yeah it's it's a bit of a it's one of those rare win win situations lebron and miami because it didn't start off very great because i mean it had all the makings of a meme uh, it started with lebron's just ridiculous announcement thing where espn live broadcast his decision of where he was going to go next and that, that was straight out of the kardashian's playbook and that was just embarrassing honestly but that happened 
Then he comes, does his press con, and he says, "We're going for not one, not two, not three, not four, blah 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 championships." And of course, that didn't happen. So that that again was a bit of a an overcommitment. But it was a young, enthusiastic talent, and you kind of expect these things. Um, why I say it's a win-win is because I think I think both parties benefited big time here. Miami Heat, um, they had a ring before this, right? And and recently too, like with with Dwayne Wade and Shaq, they had a ring. But LeBron really put them on the map. That ring was a one-off. There wasn't much before that or after. LeBron's arrival really put them on the map. Uh, sold jerseys, made them a household name across the world. Uh, that Heat logo is now recognized because LeBron wore it, and all of the LeBron photos are recognized. And where LeBron benefited was in Cleveland. He was largely the superstar, amazing talent. Everyone recognized the talent. But could he get it done in the postseason? No. Did the team? Do him any favors? No, not really. They they really didn't build a team that that they needed to around LeBron. So it's it's unfair to say Jordan got it done, LeBron didn't, because Jordan also didn't get it done until they got a Scottie Pippen, until they got a Horace Grant. So so it, it's also the GM that has to take some accountability. But he came to Miami, and in the first season, what happened? They went to the finals predictably because it's the Eastern Conference. You put two superstars, you go to the finals. It's as simple as that. Uh, they got to the finals easy, and then they just got schooled. By Dirk and the Dallas Mavericks, who had a bunch of veterans, a lot of experience, and that showed, right? Now, in the, in that series, and and over the course of the next season after that, some somewhere in that off season, I think was where there was this fabled conversation between Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, where Spolstra and Riley and Dwayne Wade, all of them had to sit LeBron down and tell him, "You you are that guy." Like we really appreciate the team player mentality, and we really appreciate you deferring. In key moments, to to Dwayne Wade and other guys that you trust, and if you feel like that's the best play to be made, make it. But understand that there is no deferring here. The only way this franchise thrives and wins is when you take over the mantle of the best player, and it's got to be you in in those clutch situations. Because Dwayne Wade's not the same player anymore, and his fitness has kind of dropped a bit, a bit. And that was when they really took off. Because the next season, LeBron was you know all all world defense, phenomenal offense. That's probably the best defense he's ever played ever. And they just romped home to two back-to-back titles and Finals MVP for Braun, and I think back-to-back MVPs and all of that. So he it was a mutual benefit kind of scenario there with with LeBron and the Heat. And where it's it's kind of come full circle and it's interesting is because I think you're seeing a semblance of that and uh, early beginnings of that happening in Los Angeles right now. I think what Dwayne Wade did for LeBron, you now see LeBron doing for Anthony Davis, and this is what I was alluding to when I said. This is we're seeing the passing of the uh, passing of the torch live. Um, so it's it's an interesting story. And like I said, anytime you get a a seasoned veteran in the finals, you have a bunch of side to, side stories and background tales to spin. And that holds true for this series as well. Which would be the bigger achievement if you had to pick one? LeBron, uh, supposing he goes ahead and wins the title at uh, at Lakers this time, and probably even take them to the finals the next year. Let's assume. Would you think would be the bigger achievement, him rising to superstardom in Miami, or him going back to Cleveland, getting them to four finals and winning one of them, coming back from three-one themselves, or taking a pretty weak Lakers team, if I could call it that, adding Anthony Davis, building up the Lakers team? Like last season, it was Lakers, it was LeBron and a bunch of guys nobody heard about, and then they added Anthony Davis. They traded a whole world of, they traded like what? Five draft picks for Anthony Davis. They traded a whole squad for Anthony Davis and built a team, carrying them to the NBA Finals. Probably, if he gets it done again, which would you rate as a higher achievement? For a vast number of reasons, the Lakers project 
and there are so many angles in this narrative so i'll rifle through them one it's the lakers you do anything with the lakers it's going to carry a lot of press um, the only other franchise historically that has the same kind of relevance is is the celtics but they're not the same anymore and the only other franchise that i can imagine where you can have this much of an impact by winning one ring is new york but that's not going to happen so it's the lakers they get a lot of press and you know it's a huge fan base so anything that you do in in la gets amplified that's one two in in miami the sense was always that he gave up a, a difficult building project that a lot of old school greats went through uh, as recently as kobe bryant but as old as as michael jordan or even dwayne wade in miami so it the criticism was that he took the easy way out he went formed a super team and and you know went went to four finals and won two rings he came back to cleveland the team that he left because they really couldn't build a squad worth anything but he came back and there was already a number one draft pick superstar in Kyrie Irving they were going to add a bunch of pieces in Iman Champert and uh, and Tristan Thompson and all of these pieces to support support LeBron so again it, it was viewed largely as a super team three superstars three perennial all-stars and and they still got only one out of four and that's always going to be the one criticism that haunts LeBron James so for him to come to LA and build something from scratch and add them piece by piece and still It, this is largely not a very strong Lakers team. Rondo showed up in the playoffs before it was a, a lot weaker. So it was just largely basically LeBron and one other aiding superstar. Something that a lot of teams have in, have in common. So you can't really say LeBron had an unfair advantage. Though AD is an unfair advantage. But this was a much more ambitious project. This was a lot tougher to achieve. And the turnaround time was so short. Because this is literally the first season where they made moves. If they win a chip straight away... Uh, that to me is is a standout achievement we hope that happens i mean it'll be great to see the glory days back in la uh, talking about la what's happening with the clippers there's a lot of reports coming in the players are not happy with doc rivers they didn't uh, he didn't play them the way they wanted to play against denver you saw montres harrell uh, burst out against paul george after his uh, ridiculous display you could say in game 6 and game 7 where they couldn't get the they were leading 3-1 they were supposed to finish it nobody comes back from 3-1 down twice and that too against the best team in the league uh, supposedly the best team in the league it's ridiculous and a lot of reports coming in that they're going to break up the whole team uh, paul george and kawhi leonard have an option to walk out of the agents uh, of the franchise what's going on over there yeah first of all a lot of this is their own uh, is their own doing right they they built a team largely the way teams built teams were built in the early 2000s which is basically most teams basically had a lebron stopper strategy not unlike how a lot of teams in the east you succeed in the east if you have a yanis stopper strategy that's pretty much all you need to do and then uh, whoever wins against the bucks usually goes on the the clippers throughout the season was the one thing that any anyone talked about it's going to be lakers clippers in the finals and we feel like the clippers are deep enough strong enough to take on the lakers and they were And they were built to take down the Lakers. And maybe the Lakers would have still got it done. I don't know. But they were built largely strategically to take down the Lakers. But, you know, then Denver Nuggets came and this was kind of out of their syllabus. Um, the, the reports coming in, well, there's a bunch of stuff coming out, right? That, that there are a lot of players. Chris Broussard, I think, was reporting that there's a lot of, there were a lot of players that weren't happy with Doc Rivers and the way he handled the situation from that point where they were up 3-1. They felt like they should have had a lot more bigs and a lot more game time for the bigs when when Jokic was running right but again this is what i say when it was their own doing who who are their bigs really because the entire time they were building a, a lebron stopper team so they had the wing defenders they had the perimeter defense who is their big zubac he's going to stop jokic no chance 
who else montrez arrel doesn't have the size and he's not really it's really not going to they, they didn't have the kind of personnel they needed to stop sir jokic and this is what i had said even before the series that the one thing the clippers can't handle is a unicorn big man so it's the same problem with jokic it was the same problem with posing it will be the same with with anthony davis if they get to the finals and and the other report kind of coming in is that people are are incredibly pissed off with, with paul george and the preferential treatment that he gets which is pretty much the superstar treatment that he gets you know, they can live with the the preferential treatment that kawhi leonard gets but paul george the kind of numbers he's putting up i think he had four games where he was under 15 points in a game that's just not justified for the kind of money he gets paid and the kind of treatment he gets and the load management support like there there are players busting their their ass out there week in week out and then paul george gets back to back games off on the second night etc etc it just doesn't seem fair right the reports coming out suggest that in his farewell speech he said something to the effect effect of let's all stay committed next season let's come back and try stronger and that was apparently met with derision and eye rolls the clippers have a problem here they they really have a problem because they now have a coach a superstar coach who who now twice has lost after going up 3-1 in a playoff series with largely unbelievable teams they have two superstars one of whom really isn't performing in the postseason and both of whom are extremely fragile and injury prone both of whom have an exit clause after the end of next season they can both choose to walk out and choose not to extend and this after a clippers traded pretty much everything under the sun to bring in paul george because that would also bring in kawhi leonard um, so they are in a precarious position right now but but if i if i were running the clippers and won that be a dream job if i was running the clippers i'd uh, i'd still retain the two superstars because at this stage i don't think you're going to get a whole lot for paul george and i, and I think it's harsh to judge him on the basis of one post season he still it's not like he's diminished as a player i'm Just judging keep, him on the basis of one post season though he's had this series of post seasons where he's disappeared right yeah but um this was really the first time that he was put in a position where he genuinely had a chance i think mm-hmm. earlier on it was just him kind of like a lone warrior going up against lebron and and his mighty teams in the east look he's he's not had a great post season i can't lie but that that doesn't mean he's a diminished player i think he's he still is the superstar that he's built to be um whether it takes a better coach to get the best out of him whether it takes some more leadership from kawhi leonard that remains to be seen that's one thing to be fixed the other to be fixed is kawhi leonard's leadership i i don't think he can have this this whole cyborg thing is cute but you can't be that disconnected from the team and still expect the team to play to your to to sing to your tunes it worked in toronto because it was largely a very well set team in toronto with a lot of diverse talent uh, and an already number one seed team into which kawhi leonard dropped himself and and took them to the title Clippers were a strong team and a well-set team, but they weren't anywhere close to the number one seed before Kawhi got here. So they weren't that good. Um, and then they also made a bunch of changes to bring in Paul George. So there was some disruption there. So it will take a leader to really bring all of this team together and eliminate the ego. But but that's the part that I don't think they can overcome. These ego issues of other players thinking they're as good as Paul George, it's a joke, honestly, that anyone thinks they're as, as good as Paul George, despite his postseason performances, because who else really did anything in the postseason? Lou Williams, what, what did he do in the postseason other than um, go to Magic City and get photographed on on, on Twitter, right? Uh, so it, it's a joke that anyone thinks they're really that good. Um, I, I think you would have to drop, cut away all of the ego problem, uh, squad players, role players, bring in better role players that, that fit your needs, and, and rebuild from there. whether you fire doc rivers or not honestly depends on who's available if they feel like they have a better coach that can get it done um sure that makes sense 
but there aren't that many honestly in in the system that that are better on paper than dark rivers so they have a they have a challenging rebuild on hands and if they don't get it done next season they've got all the more pressure because both their superstars have exit clauses it's not looking very good for the clippers right now yeah uh, two contrasting tales in la the lakers and the clippers and that's been the case in history as well where lakers have always been the more flashy dominant and a team that gets it done so can't really blame the lakers for the clippers downfall uh, but before we wrap up today's episode uh, if you had to pick one player of the day from today's game uh, whom would you pick I, i for me if i had to pick one i would still pick jamal murray despite the result i think he put in an he put in a incredible lone star performance that's how i would call it because jokic was missing like you said he was in foul trouble he didn't play a foul trouble he didn't play a lot of minutes he was kind of having an off night but jamal murray really turned up uh, those plays those incredible baskets those ridiculous baskets against lebron and those left-handed shots i think jamal murray should be i mean at least he's my player of the day yeah i think you he was special no doubt but uh, my my pick would i'm still biased towards the outcome um but in in the outcome anthony davis did what uh, honestly anyone should expect him to do as did lebron james uh, i think the difference really was that start and those second chance opportunities especially when denver was shooting so much better than the lakers and yet lakers had a big lead largely because of dwight howard's offensive rebounding i think he made the difference and i think it was it really was a, a great visionary move from vogel to bring him into the starting lineup because that that really turned the tide in the series so for that reason just just for the impact i think because he proved to be the difference Dwight Howard for for this game because everyone else as amazing as they were we've seen them do that uh, throughout this post season including Jamal Murray um but but Dwight Howard this was this was another angle that Vogel added and this was a surprise element that he threw which forced the Denver Nuggets to adjust on the fly and it was too late by the time they adjusted they were already down by 10 agreed i mean hard to debate that Dwight Howard making a special appearance and this was fun i think uh, we'll know the we'll know kind of where the eastern conference is heading uh, it might all be over miami heat might come out as the eastern conference champion that's that's going to be an exciting game anyways it's going to be close but i don't expect boston to put up a fight uh, if they do great uh, we have much more to talk about yeah sounds good see you tomorrow see you bye bye